Last week, we picked back up with Deuteronomy. It is a series of three speeches that Moses gives on the brink of the promised land. And last week, Moses recalled what had happened after they had sinned by making the golden calf and how he had to pray for the people that God would forgive them. And now we pick up the story because Moses, perhaps in his anger, or perhaps he knew that the covenant was broken when he saw the golden calf, had taken the tablets God had given them, the Ten Commandments, and had broken them at the time. And so now God comes to him with further instruction. This is in Deuteronomy 10. Then the Lord said to me at that time, chisel out two tablets of stone and bring them up with you to the mountain and make for me an ark out of wood. And then I will write on the tablets what I wrote before, the ones that you broke, and then you are to put them in the ark. So I made an ark out of acacia wood, and I took the two tablets and went out up to the mountain. And there the Lord wrote the words that he had written the first time, the Ten Commandments, the word that he had proclaimed to you from the mountain out of the fire on the day of the assembly. And then I took the commandments, the tablets, and went back down the mountain and put them in the ark as he had commanded me. And there they are to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. A few weeks back, we were looking in our house for an important paper uh, that belonged to my father-in-law that we needed uh, for his uh, burial. And as we were looking, we looked in the places where we keep important stuff. We started in the entertainment uh, center, because next to the entertainment center is a cabinet. And there in the cabinet are all the photograph albums that we had from the time uh, when we got married to the time the children were little and then as they were growing up. But it wasn't there. Then next we went to the file cabinet because file cabinets where we keep our will and passports and uh, significant papers that um, that refer to things that we own. But it wasn't there either. And then we went uh, to the cedar chest. We have a cedar chest in our house. And there in the cedar chest, we keep keep things that are significant, uh, not necessarily pictures, but clippings uh, that are important to us, toys that our children played with uh, when they were little, things they wore uh, that were their favorite outfits or what they wore at their baptism. Uh, but the paper wasn't in there. In fact, the paper wasn't anywhere in our house. My wife had forgotten that she'd already given it back to uh, my mother-in-law. But it reminded me of what comes to all of us, which is the question of what we do with our important papers and our important things in our life. And so I would ask you this morning, where do you keep your valuables? And I would say, you could tell me I'm a pastor. Where do you keep what's important to you? Where would you keep something as important as the very word of God? Where would you keep, in fact, the very presence of God? Well, that's the issue for Moses today in Deuteronomy 10. And the good news for Moses is God tells him where to keep it. He says, I want you to make me a wooden ark. And as Roger described it, it's about four feet this way, about two feet uh, high, a little bit over, and about two feet uh, deep. But the measurements would have been in cubits. And I assure you, when you translate it in English, we lose the numerical significance that would have been there for the Hebrew people. They would know this is an important box. 
And they especially know it's an important box because it's going to be made out of acacia wood. Now, acacia trees are very rare. They, they grow in the desert. They're about the only thing that will grow in the desert. But sometimes you can be in the desert, whether it's a Sinai and the Negev, and you can go miles without seeing an acacia tree. Many scholars believe Psalm 1, which is those who meditate upon the law of God day and night are like a tree planted by streams of living water, that that is actually a description of an acacia tree. They're in the desert and they're in, next to dry riverbeds. And when it rains every few years and, and the flash flood comes, then the tree soaks up enough nutrients uh, to keep it alive for the days ahead. But acacia trees are very valuable. In the desert, when I was there in 2007, the temperatures ranged between 115 and 125 degrees. And I remember one particular afternoon, we'd been on a hike and had gone three or four miles. I didn't even know. My brain was fried. But as we walked through the empty river canyon, the dry riverbed, we saw an acacia tree. And 51 of us were able to find shade under that tree. They were very significant in the ancient world because a person needed shade in the desert. They also served as sort of a gathering place because shepherds would go to an acacia tree and rest in the shade and try to get their flocks in the shade. And then especially the ones who might be wounded or injured or sick. And then other shepherds might find their way to the same tree. So they became sort of like mini community centers, extremely valuable. And when it gets cold in the desert at night, which it can do, you could even take a little bit of that wood and make a fire. If your animals are hungry, your sheep, and they haven't found anything to eat, you can feed them with the pods of the acacia tree. And if you run into trouble in the desert, which you will because it's practically all rock, and you cut yourself, uh, you're wounded in some way, you can take the sap of an acacia tree and as a salve put it on your wound and it has healing properties, say the Bedouins. The acacia tree is so important in the desert that its nickname is the Bedouin's friend because it does so many things for people who have to live in the desert or travel through the desert. And not only that, as Roger mentioned, they're extremely slow growing. So any bit of acacia wood that you use, it's going to take centuries, centuries to replace. This is valuable stuff. And so God says to Moses, take this valuable stuff, the thing that's most important to you in the desert, right up there with water, and make me an ark, a box, out of that. Well, if you've been here long enough, you know that, that I firmly believe that God often speaks through pictures. So I just want to ask this morning, what's this picture of this box made out of the most valuable material that they could possibly have in the desert? What do they see? When they see that box, well, there's a few things I think they see. The first thing they see is whatever is in that box must be really important. Or it wouldn't have a box like that. And it teaches them how valuable God's Word is. That God's Word is so valuable that you want to protect it and care for it the best way that you can. The problem with us who are Christians and grew up Christians is we always tend to think of the law of God as some sort of onerous thing that was dumped on people because maybe God wanted to repress them or restrict them in some way. But the fact of the matter is this. They've been slaves in Egypt for many years. They lived in Egypt for 450 years. They've never known how to make their own decisions and live their own life. And God gives them guidance. It's a wonderful gift, this law, this Ten Commandments for the people. 
And, and I think maybe you can appreciate this. A few days ago, I came to an intersection that had five streets and the lights were out. You can imagine. Sometimes a little law is a good thing. Sometimes a little guidance uh, is a good thing. Sometimes it's good to know what lane you are running in or driving in. And they would look at that box and say, if the box is that valuable, what's inside it must be really important. Another picture I think that would come to them is this. That box sure cost a lot. That box involved a real sacrifice on not just Moses' part, but the community, because that's one acacia tree down that we all need. It would tell them that there's something about God's word and God's presence that requires a sacrifice on our part to fully appreciate and live into that gift. God gives us a gift, but if we don't put any effort into receiving the gift, in other words then we're probably not going to uh, receive the gift as fully as we might. David illustrates this in uh, 1 Samuel 24. He finds a piece of ground that he wants to build an altar to God. This is several centuries after Moses. And the guy says, oh, you're going to build an altar to God? I'll give you the land. I mean, boy, if it's for God, I'll give it to you. And David says this, I will not offer sacrifices to God that don't cost me anything. And he pays for the land, and some of you know the, quote, rest of the story, that land is the land that the temple of Solomon will actually be built upon. But it starts with a sacrifice. God is giving us a wonderful gift, but if we don't invest any of ourselves, it's very difficult to receive it. And I might suggest, it seems to me, there are several things that would help us receive not just God's word, but God's presence. Because if you've ever seen the movie, The Raider of the Lost Ark, you know that there was uh, the reality for the people in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, that God's presence traveled in that ark. It wasn't just God's word, but it was God's very presence. So it's going to take something on our part to receive God's presence, some sacrifice as well. I think it might take the sacrifice of time, which you've done this morning, investing your time to be with God and with God's people is an important sacrifice. A friend of mine was a pastor in a resort community, you know, built around a lake. And he told me about um, a couple who every Sunday would come to the early service, park in front of the church, have their boat attached, and leave the motor running. And once the sermon was over, they jumped in the car and were off to the lake. And he told me, he said, David, I really had doubts about how much God's word settled into them on that day. It, It takes more of an investment in that. A friend of mine was telling me that uh, they had met somebody who moved from an African country, a Christian, to America. And, and that person said, you know, I just can't find a church in San Antonio. Because all the churches in San Antonio want to get it done in an hour. And he said, where I come from, to give God only an hour is extremely disrespectful. It takes some sacrifice of a time. It takes sacrifice, I think, of attention. When you're with God, it's not a time for multitasking. It's a time to focus on God. When you're with other people, God's people, it's a time to focus on them. When you're with those who are in need, it's a time to focus on them, not other things. I saw a special on TV, you may have seen it this week, on one of the news channels, and they were talking about uh, the struggles that come with uh, crackberries, you know, with addiction to our our iPhones and and, and, and technology, and what they did is an experiment on a campus in Washington State. They had a guy uh, unicycle through the main quad, the plaza of the college campus, dressed up like a clown. Big wig, big nose, big shoes, looked like Ronald McDonald. And they show him unicycling in and out between all these students. And then they asked the students afterwards, they interviewed him, what did you see? 
Well, the students who were listening to their MP3 player, 60% of them saw the clown. The students who were texting or talking on their cell phone, only 20% of them saw the clown. Well, I hate to tell you, friends, but God's not as obvious as the clown on the unicycle most times. We are really going to have to focus and give God attention and give other people attention to truly come to know them. And, of course, I think even investment of our, our possessions, our, our what we call our talents, our treasures, is helpful toward really experiencing God's presence. Uh, Jesus put it this way. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think sometimes if we're feeling God is distant, we might ask ourselves, how much have I really given of myself? To God, And if I just really haven't given much myself to God, it's probably not a big surprise that we really haven't experienced God um, that much. And, uh, and I think that's just a basic principle of life. The more you invest in something, the more you're attentive to what you invest in. And I know the students behind me are completely different. But when I was in college, my parents were paying for it, and I sort of paid attention. When I was in graduate school, I was paying for it. And my attention level went way up because this was my investment some of that investment is required if we're truly going to experience the gift of god's word and the gift of god's presence and certainly we learn from the story of moses that follow through on what god says is going to be key to experiencing god um in in the scriptures i recited god basically asked moses to do four things chisel out some stone uh tablets bring them with you to the mountain um, uh, make a box for them to fit in, and then when I write on them, bring them back down and put them in the box. And the first paragraph I recited were those four things. The second paragraph is Moses saying, I did those four things. Part of the reason we don't hear from God is because we haven't really done the last thing God asked us to do. Some of our distance, in other words, is not due to God being absent, but maybe we're not as present to God as we could be. But then I think the most beautiful picture that would speak to these people was this. If God's word was going in a valuable box, and if Moses would later in Deuteronomy give this speech and say the word of God is very near you, in fact it is in your heart. And if Jesus would later come along and say, if you obey my commandments and my teachings, my father and I will come make our home inside of you. When you picture that box, do you see it? It's like looking into a mirror. When you look into the box of God, you are seeing yourself. God thinks you are valuable or God wouldn't bother to put God's presence in you. So much of our life, we try to add value to ourselves. You know, our employers uh, teach us, well, if you could do a few more things and add value to the company, you know, we'll keep you around. Or we're in sales and we say, well, look, we've added this value to our product. We're always about trying to make ourselves more valuable, more worthy. The box is a picture and says, you don't make yourself valuable and worthy. God makes you valuable and worthy. And because God desires to live in you, there's nothing and no one more valuable than you are. Jesus one day told a, told a parable to illustrate this. It's about a guy uh, who was a merchant, and he found a pearl, and the pearl was so wonderful, so magnificent, that the guy went and sold every stinking thing he had to get the pearl. And Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like that. What did he mean? Well, probably a couple things. One is the kingdom of heaven is really important. It's worth your best investment. It's worth you taking the time and the attention and the uh, investment 
to be with God and God's people and to be out in the community with those who are in need. I mean, that's worth it. But there's another part of that parable. Because isn't that what God did? Didn't God take everything that was valuable and important to God, the life of his only son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and give him for you and for me? In reality, aren't we the pearl of great price? In reality, aren't we the valuable wooden box covered with gold? In reality... Isn't it not so much a matter of what we do to make ourselves more valuable or lovable, but rather we just need to start living into the fact that we are valuable and we are loved? God's very presence went into an expensive box, a rare box, covered with gold. But now God's presence goes into something infinitely more valuable. God's presence goes into you.